0: You're listening to SoundSide. I'm Libby Dankman. Washington has reached a grim milestone again. Last month, the state's Traffic Safety Commission told lawmakers that Washington had at least 800 traffic fatalities last year. That means, if preliminary estimates hold up, that 2023 will be the deadliest year on Washington roadways since 1990 which obviously is not good, especially considering that the state has an ambitious Target Zero goal to eliminate serious traffic injuries and fatalities by the year 2030. Folks may notice that is only six years away. In response, legislators are considering bills they say could limit traffic fatalities, including lowering the legal limit for driving drunk and allowing cities to expand the use of speed cameras. But is this just an enforcement issue or are there other approaches Washington needs to consider to lower traffic fatalities? That's the question my panel of experts is here to consider. I'm joined now by Ryan Avery, the Interim Director of the Washington State Transportation Center at the University of Washington. Ryan, hello. Hello. Paulo Nunes Ueno is a transportation consultant who launched the Transit and Mobility Division at Seattle's Department of Transportation. Paulo, hello.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: And Anne-Vernay Moudon is a professor of urban design and planning at the University of Washington. And thank you to you for making it. I know you're in Greece right now, so I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Happy to be with you. Great to have you here. Ryan, let's start with you. There has been a significant increase in fatalities on Washington roads since 2020, and that's out of sync with nationwide trends. Overall, deaths have been declining for more than a year, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration what is going on in this state?
2: That's a great question. And w- one that researchers are struggling to figure out because, uh, I mean, obviously, COVID was an interesting experience. Uh, and we saw a little bit of regression nationwide around that, partly due to a number of factors, uh, more people being outside, uh, the roads being wide open. And so I think, you know, drivers sometimes would get engaged in uh, some riskier behaviors, uh, more speeding. Uh, but as things have kind of somewhat returned to whatever this you know semblance of normal is after COVID, it's vexing that we see this increase. And it's probably due to a variety of factors I'm sure that other people will bring up. Vehicle size continues to increase, and that's just a matter of physics. Then when there is an impact, especially with pedestrians and vulnerable road users, um, vehicles are much larger than they used to be. And some countries are considering um, trying to crack down on this, but that's not, there has not been much appetite to do that in the US. Uh, of course, engagement, risk behaviors. I'm wondering if there's also just more people still being outside a little bit. I mean, we do a great job of counting vehicles on many of our roads. We do a very poor job of understanding pedestrian and cyclist movement. And I know this is traffic fatalities, but many of them involve vulnerable road users, and we don't always have great data on those users. And so it's hard to say if there's more people out, and then that just leads to some interactions as well.
0: So more bikes on the road, more vulnerable users, potentially more interactions. We don't have data to support that in front of us, but that's one theory. I know the numbers are still getting confirmed, but and we're talking about why Washington's moving in the opposite direction of the nationwide trends recently, which have been declining for roadway deaths. What do you believe is behind that number?
3: Well, I think one has to has one has to be really careful about the numbers because Washington may be up but it might be in certain areas. Like let's say it's in pedestrian. I don't know for a fact, but I'm just hypothesizing now. It could be pedestrian. It could be more freeway uh, fatalities. I mean, you know, one of the problems we have with our statistics is that we generalize them by sort of political units as opposed to uh, by areas. And so, you know, I'd like to see in Washington State where these fatalities have increased exactly what kind of facilities we're talking about. Uh, a lot of the fatalities related to speed of travel, not only you know, the size of vehicles like Brian mentioned, which is really very, um, Ryan, I'm sorry, this is really, really important to consider, but it's also the kind of uh, facilities that uh, people are dying on. Are they uh, high speed? Are they medium speed? Are they local areas? And and so I think, of course, for people, the legislature for policymakers, you have to address uh, the issue within the state. But we also have to look within the state where these fatalities are taking place and where they are increasing.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk about tailoring solutions to areas of a special vulnerability, areas of higher safety risk. Paolo, first off, Your reaction as we see Washington's numbers overall, again, we don't have the nitty gritty on individual geography of these fatalities, but what are your reflections on what's going on in Washington state?
1: Well, I guess what I would, my reaction is that whatever we're doing is not working and that we need to take a a much more systemic approach to making our roads safer, making it Possible for people to trust that they are gonna go to the store and they're gonna come back and 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 be well. It's a complicated problem, and it's not something that is going to be solved with a, a singular approach, you know, that that just focusing on enforcement is not gonna be sufficient to the to the problem. And you know, the I think I agree with everything that's been said so far. But we do know that even if we, we don't know granularly yet those, where exactly the problem is occurring, we do know that the real commonality in terms of the, the severity of crashes, the severity of outcomes is speed and that we have as a, as a profession, as a society, as the speed of traffic over safety again and again and again, whether we're doing that through policy or whether we're doing that through engineering practice. And that's just got to change. You know, we we either have roads where people feel safe to drive, uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, or we have safe roads. We don't have both.
0: Paolo, back to you, when I think big picture about transportation safety, we have slightly more than two deaths on the roadways in Washington state per day. Other transportation industries, if you had those numbers, I mean, it would just not be tolerated. You know, if you had air travel folks assuming that in the state you would have two deaths a day, obviously nobody would fly. Um, Why big picture, when you see the rising death toll on Washington roadways, is that tolerated in a way that train travel, air travel, other modes just wouldn't be. Culturally, is it is it an issue where we just accept that driving and our dependence on cars is deadly?
1: Yeah, I think that is a fundamental question that we need to answer. Why do we stand for this, right? You know, nationwide we're we're killing 40,000 people roughly every year on our roadways and I mean, this is crazy. If you compare it to air travel, right? Totally, you know, different modes of travel, different different administrations, everything. But there's it's been 15 years since we've had a, a commercial aircraft death in America, and and you know, air travel compared to itself has gotten tremendously safer in the last 20 years, and on roadways we're making backwards progress. So, you know, I, I back in the day I used to work at, at Seattle Children's Hospital and I was just a transportation guy, but I saw that industry really grapple with safety and safety in a systemic way. And they would they would point to air travel as an example where they got the the regulators, the the plane makers, the the pilots union, the FTA together and said, okay, we're gonna stop blaming each other, and we're going to address this problem systemically and figure out how we can actually make progress towards increasing safety. And that's what I would be looking for, is for uh, a really wraparound type of solution to this and and a sense of urgency as well.
0: Ryan, do you have any reflections on that? I mean, I keep coming back to where's the outrage? I mean, the fact that we're going back to 1990 levels in Washington state is... Frustrating, and I would think that there would be more of an outcry. But again, there is something going on with cars as being an accepted, potentially deadly mode of transit that we don't accept anywhere else.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I echo what Paulo said. Uh, You know, if in the aggregate, when you think about it, and you think about the fact that over forty thousand people are dying on our on our roads in America every year. it's such a huge number of people are like what that can't be right you know but it is it is absolutely right uh, and yet we put up with it and and we should be absolutely outraged but uh, when you ask people what what the changes are or what you do to reduce that number and many communities have adopted a you know a mindset and uh, moving toward vision zero uh, which is absolutely what we should be doing uh, and yet we're finding that we're stumbling when we try to get there the built environment that we have here in this country is so completely different from what many other countries have I mean uh, Western Europe in particular vision zero has you know been very popular but they also didn't Build their infrastructure because so much of uh, uh, so much of it was older than what we have here. Uh, there were certain advantages, you could say, uh, that they have more environments that were built and scaled for for this proper purpose. And here in the United States, with many things being built in the latter half of the twentieth century, it was very much built for design, comfort, speed, the the supremacy of the automobile. Um, and so, I think people maybe subconsciously defer a little bit, they're you know worried that do anything that we do to improve safety will necessarily decrease vehicle efficiency or comfort that you won't be able to travel as fast. Uh, and but that, that's a fair question because as Paulo said, and I've mentioned it before, speed is absolutely one of the number one factors. And the city of Seattle lowered speed limits around the city a few years ago as part of their Vision Zero effort uh, because the research is very clear, You're, the odds of surviving a collision um, especially as a vulnerable road user, increase a lot the lower the speed is. The other thing that I'd like to mention, of course, is that we've done a great job in vehicles of making them safer over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, vehicle safety has, um, there it, it really has done a lot for the industry and you are much more likely to survive a collision if you're inside a vehicle. But the counterpoint to that is is you are actually much less likely to survive a collision if you're outside the vehicle now. We've made vehicles bigger. We've made them bulkier. We have all these crush zones and impact zones that protect the inner occupants. But if you aren't inside that vehicle, it's actually a worse outcome for you now. Uh, and that's unfortunate because we should be working on both sides of that equation and making sure that we're protecting people both in and outside the vehicle.
0: Mm. You're listening to SoundSide, and I'm talking about traffic fatalities and their rise in Washington state with experts including Ryan Avery, the Interim Director of the Washington State Transportation Center at UW, Paulo Nunez Bueno, a transportation consultant, and Anne-Vernay Mudan, a professor of urban design and planning at the University of Washington. And we talked a little bit there with Ryan about the history of the way our country has been developed and the fact that fast cars were at the core, especially on the West Coast, of the way our built environments came about. Is speed and the car simply too central to our identity as Americans and on the West Coast to actually make meaningful change in the design of our communities in order to improve safety?
3: I would say no. I mean, yes, definitely there is, uh, you know, a difference, uh, especially on the West Coast with sort of low density uh, environment where, you know, the options for travel, for, uh, for mobility are really restricted. And the car is a very powerful sort of tool that we have. But, um, you know, I want to remind everybody that actually traffic, um, so-called accidents, they're not accidents, but traffic crashes are the number five or six uh, element uh, that explains uh, mortality in the world. So it's not just Washington State, uh, but it's the whole world that we have really a bias toward, um, you know, individual mobility, uh, surface mobility in cars, and we're not really looking at the tremendous impact that it has uh, on uh, quality of life, not to mention uh, no, risk of early death. So it's not just Washington State. So it makes makes us feel maybe a little better uh, than, you know, than this um Uh, this panel is talking about. Um, It's a cultural uh, bias that we have uh, in part um, fashioned by the car industry, the uh, automobile industry. Uh, One in seven jobs depend on the automobile industry. It's a very powerful lobby. And, uh, you know, we are basically uh, numbed out to the effect of uh, this kind of travel on uh, our safety. And it's not just Washington state, it's all over the world, it's very sad. So Washington state, you know, can sort of turn around and actually be, you know, as part of the front runners in terms of changing uh, and and turning this corner. And it might be a good thing that we now have these very bad statistics this year that will shake things up and, you know, get us uh, to deal with the issues. Um, And we know what the issues are. They've been mentioned already. We know exactly where to go in order to reduce traffic uh, fatalities.
0: So I want to talk about some of the enforcement mechanisms that the state legislature is looking at. Now, some of them, like the lowering of the blood alcohol limit to 0.05 from 0.08, seems like it's a long shot. This is a short legislative session, but it's being talked about in the face of these rising traffic fatalities. Um, Another bill would allow more automated cameras to capture people speeding or running a stoplight. Again, these are being talked about during a short legislative session. We don't know the outcome in Olympia yet. Ryan, overall, though, can we enforce our way out of this?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, enforcement always has a role to play, but I, I don't believe that enforcement can achieve this alone uh, because I, I don't believe that this ultimately is an, an enforcement problem. It's a lot of times in an, uh, sort of, again, our built environment problem. Uh, our roads feel like we've designed them to a point where you like feel like you can travel at a certain speed. And now when we want to lower the speed, we've given that driver visual cues that they can kind of bomb down a road at you know, 40 miles an hour. And if we lower the speed limit to 25 to try to make it safer, if people aren't paying attention, they naturally just drive faster, not even because many people want to speed. Some people do actually want to go the speed limit, and they just find themselves naturally driving at this faster speed because it feels comfortable to do so. Our lane widths are wide. We have – I mean, and all these things that were done as protective measures in the highway capacity manual, having certain amounts of clearance and stuff was very – done with fair, a very safety – a mindset of making sure there were good clearances. But it also has the net effect. I mean, in my hometown in Colorado, the the roads were so wide, because there there was a requirement that a, a fire engine needed to be able to do a U-turn in the street after a fire in the 1800s. Oh, that's a lot of that, clearance. Yeah. Yeah, they have so much pavement, they don't know what to do with it all. And so on a two-lane road, the lanes are 15 feet wide. There's They, they have they have park, uh, bike lanes on almost every road because they have a, all this extra pavement. But now they have a huge speeding problem because it's just so comfortable to go fast. And so they, that I guess I'm getting back to enforcement is part of the solution, but it's a very small part. I don't think we can enforce a way out of that. Lowering the blood alcohol level is great. I mean, I think 0.08 even is... Is high. I mean, I think people just shouldn't be driving impaired, but that's not going to solve this problem.
0: Paolo, how do we make things less comfortable to go fast? And is it possible to overcome what will be the natural pushback there when commuters, when you know truck companies, when um, freight wants to go fast?
1: I think actually that people don't really want to go fast. I think to to Ryan's point the design speed that the the road creates a sense of how fast you should be going and and what what people really care about is flow is they want to be able to and i think that you know we we've shown again and again that you can reduce speeds and still keep the same amount of traffic going so I think it's important going back to the very beginning. of Anne's point is to to sort of be focused and targeted in terms of our interventions. And I I think that we you know one of the the areas that are most dangerous uh, for vulnerable users and for drivers alike in Washington State are what we call our main street highways. You know, what other people sort of call strodes is this idea that you're basically designing a a highway and 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 creating uh the environment where people can go at highway speeds but they're on the surface and there's all of the other interactions and distractions and interruptions and intersections and 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 people crossing and you know examples of these would be aurora uh you know uh would be lake city way uh, Highway two through Monroe, and and the the needs of of the the other users of the road who aren't in cars weren't contemplated when these things were built, and so we have this huge deficit in these places that that you know that completely outstrip the capacity of those cities to do something with. So, what I think it is the, the moment is really asking the legislature to step up and create a mega project that is focused on the main street highways and building the sidewalks and the transit stops and the crossings that, that we, we literally left undone, right? So we create mega projects all the time. We're really, really good at, at you know scaling these projects over years and decades. And, and all of the, the mega projects that we build are, for the most part, adding more capacity for car travel and aren't necessarily going back and finishing the job that we left undone. So I think my call to the legislature would be, let's really take a look at these main street highways and build the stuff that we didn't build the first go around and put the real money, you know, the dollars with a B behind doing this stuff.
0: Yeah. And Verne Moudon, what sorts of urban design solutions get you excited when you think about the possibilities for their uh, reduction of traffic fatalities?
3: You know, again, reduction of tra- traffic fatalities is one thing. Uh, let's not forget that 17 uh, percent, I think it is now, of these fatalities are pedestrians. And that's that's been growing. That's a, a very nasty statistics that we have in Washington state. And so when you talk, uh, you know, Paolo talks about uh, the main street highways, a lot of those are the areas where uh, pedestrians are uh, being hit. And um, so beyond the um, engineering uh, solution and the urban design uh, solution, which I think a lot of communities are doing in Washington state, increasing mixed use, for instance, uh, along these these highways, increasing um, the crosswalks, um, light, uh, you know, uh, controlled intersections, and so on. I think a lot of the local areas are doing that. But in addition, there has to be a reduction in, spe- in speed. That uh, in these uh, areas where there are concentration of people, uh, transit-oriented sort of development or higher density intersection speeds have to be reduced and, and considerably to probably less than 30 miles an hour. Uh, and then cameras have to be put everywhere for, uh, you know, catching uh, those who are um, not following the rules. And the last uh, rule, which is not urban design, but it's very effective, is to increase the, uh, the fines. You know, our fines relative to, again, you know, the rest of the world where there are fewer fatalities by number of uh, inhabitants, they're much higher than in Washington state. So, uh, you know, speeding tickets should be higher. And uh, so you get one of these tickets and you never forget it. Do you see what I'm saying? Now we still have the opportunity to forget it.
0: You have to make it hurt more basically to break the rules. Yeah. In a
3: lot of areas which are closer to the zero fatalities, uh, they also uh, remove your... uh, Ability to drive for, you know, a period of three months, six months. And uh, if you get caught several times forever.
0: Yeah. Take the license away. Ryan, you wanted to jump in on that.
2: I completely agree with what Anne's saying, and I think that's where enforcement does have a role to play. Is when you make this transition, you do need enforcement to help get people used to the idea, and whether it's increasing fines, you know that it's low at first, and um, or do you do something crazy like Finland? You know, where in Finland, if you speed, uh, they actually scale it to your income, and so you know there was a, this was a number of years ago now, but some guy who. Made a lot of money with spending in his sports car and had a several hundred thousand euro fine uh, because of his income but because if if you particularly for wealthy people if it's a really low fine I mean it's almost considered the cost of doing business I worked in the Middle East 10 years ago and they had speed cameras set up uh, and the some of the local people who were very wealthy would just drive Um, you know, 30 kilometers over the speed limit and hit every single one of these cameras that was every two kilometers because for them it was the toll to go as fast as they wanted to go rather than an enforcement to maintain. You know, so absolutely what Anne's saying is we need to find a way to, when we do have enforcement, make it effective because right now, largely, it's not that effective.
0: So we've heard about a number of ways. Uh, the design of roadways to reduce speed so it doesn't feel so comfortable to be speeding a- along our roadways. Um, more pedestrian safety measures like crosswalks and overpasses. Also enforcement mechanisms, cameras, the fines going up, um, especially according to your income, so that it actually does hurt when you get a fine and you think twice before you speed. Paulo, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to leave folks with when it comes to These numbers we're seeing in Washington state and the opportunities in front of our lawmakers to fix things.
1: Yeah. Last year, the legislature funded a a process to study where we have sidewalks and where we don't have sidewalks. And it's sort of crazy to think about that in this day and age, we literally don't know. So, you know, there's there's such I live a in a gap. neighborhood
0: with no sidewalks, so I feel very strongly about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the the for our ability to make data driven decisions in in this realm. And Ryan mentioned this earlier and and pointed to it as well, is really hamstrung by our our just lack of knowledge of where people are walking, where there are places that people in wheelchairs or other assistive devices can walk safely. And I guess ultimately, I feel like we have all the tools that we need to make a big difference in this. We're lacking the will and we're lacking the data. And if we can put those two things together, we can make the changes that we need to see in this realm.
0: That's Paolo Nunes Bueno, a transportation consultant who launched the Transit and Mobility Division at Seattle's Department of Transportation. You also heard from Anne Verne Mudan, a professor of urban design and planning at the University of Washington, and Ryan Avery, the interim director of the Washington State Transportation Center at UW. Thank you to my panel uh, for joining me today. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at kuow.org.